0: Welcome to Safety Talk. Personal safety expert Pete Canavan shares his insights and interviews experts who provide simple and effective tips, techniques, and technologies to keep you safe and secure both online and off. Here's Pete. Hello and welcome to Safety Talk. I am your host Pete Canavan and today we as always are going to touch on a couple of our current news items and there is never a shortage of them always something to talk about. So what we're going to talk about today initially is uh, some of the current cybersecurity threats that are out there. Uh, these breaches continue to surface. No company seems to be immune, big or small. The amount of technology and security and money that you throw at the problem really doesn't seem to matter. Uh, the first is there's a new version of a ransomware called Mega Cortex uh, that has just hit the news recently. And uh, there is a new variant of it that's hitting companies in the U.S. and in Europe. So far this ransomware has demanded close to six million dollars from the companies that it has breached. Uh, the interesting thing about this is it's actually a system that it self executes, it's got a hard-coded password in it and so as soon as that thing is installed on your system, whenever it's been set to go, off it goes. So make sure, again, you always want to keep your security software up to date. You want to brief your employees on how to spot these sort of things. You want to brief them on, you know, social engineering attacks and also let them know that some of these things don't necessarily have to come from your computer. They can come from traditional means. You know, somebody could call you up on the phone and simply by going to maybe your company's website, take a look at the board of directors and start throwing some names around and say, hey, you know, Joe from marketing told me about this and I was talking to, uh, you know, the board president, Mike, and he said, we need to do this. So can you send me some, you know, money to this address to handle this new initiative we're undertaking? And so it's very, very, you know, tricky with what some of these people are doing. And so be vigilant and don't fall for this. If you ever are suspicious of anything that seems out of the ordinary, always get things, you know, double checked and approved. Uh, Something else that has come to light recently is uh, one of the most popular video card manufacturers, NVIDIA, uh, that makes the Tesla and the GeForce and the Quadro cards. Uh, There's been a security, several security flaws that have been found inside of their popular video cards. So they have already created a patch for some of the GeForce products, uh, some of the Quadro products. So if you use any of these video cards, definitely get to NVIDIA's website, get the patches. Uh, If there is not a patch yet, out there for your particular card, keep your eye on it and make sure you do install it as soon as possible. And then finally, of course, hackers are always looking at getting into corporate networks. And one of the most favorite new ways of doing so is through the Internet of Things because the IoT devices tend to have a lot less security. They don't run the same sort of software that the other devices in your network do. And so things like voice over IP phones, uh, video decoders, printers, things like that, are all very susceptible. So keep abreast of any news, any updates on your devices, obviously install those right away. And then probably one of the scariest, and you know, we always talk about the online world and the offline world sort of blending together here. And one of the more interesting things that we're all starting to see lately is the fact that your car now can be connected to the internet. Well, that can be a good thing if you got Wi-Fi in the car for the kids and their games and their videos, etc. But There can also be a problem because hackers can also hack into a car that's connected to the internet just like they can any other device. So they could do things like, you know, maybe shut down your collision detection system in the car, maybe, you know, falsify GPS data, send you the wrong way, uh, maybe activate your brakes, your anti-locks remotely. So as a precaution, there is a consumer advocacy, advocacy group that is seeking to have these very inexpensive switches installed in cars so that basically by flipping a switch, you can disconnect your vehicle from the internet in the event of a problem. So right now, the National Highway Transportation Safety Administration is reviewing that report, and uh, we'll see what sort of recommendations and actions they take as a result, but it never ends. So our guest today works for a company whose tagline is pioneering safety. Uh, Their products are redefining security. They continue to invent new technology, and this technology is designed to keep you safe wherever you are, and as we see, there is nowhere that you can really get away from needing to be safe. So from mechanical locks to biometric access systems and everything in between, this company works around the clock to keep both individuals and companies safe and secure. So today's guest has spoken to global audiences. He's recognized as a thought leader and an entrepreneur in the security industry. And his ability to deliver clear solutions to various complex problems has helped him grow companies from nothing to over $50 million in sales. He's currently the Vice President of Physical Access Control Manufacturers Business and focuses on how to integrate third-party access control software with the company's devices. And so it's my pleasure, Rob, to introduce Rob Liddick, Vice President of Pax OEM Business for Allegion to Safety Talk. So welcome, Rob, and uh, thanks for being on the show.
1: Thank you very much for having me.
0: So, absolutely. Uh, your company does a lot of different things. Uh, I was looking at the website and they deal with lots of different products. So, probably a, a large question to start off with, but of all the different products that you you know, the company has, you have stuff for business, you have stuff for home. Uh, what would you say is one of the more critical solutions or products that Allegion is offering today to its customers?
1: I think that the... The insight of what we're doing at Allegion is building upon our mechanical history, which is over a 100-year history with brands that everybody knows, such as Schlage, Von Duprin, LCN, and utilizing that 100-year history to be able to build electronic products that are both that are smart um, and elect and and provide that electronic future for people. And that does apply both commercially and residentially. And we have two different uh, sets of individuals that take care of those, those respective concerns. So as you had uh, provided in your introduction, as you're looking at um, things like cars, we don't, we don't do cars, but that's, that's a consumer-type business, whereas you would look at institutional, and that's, that would be our commercial line of business. And the Schlage family, which many have on their front door at their home, Um, We have electronic lock sets that work with third-party software manufacturers, which you may see Amazon Key. You may see other players in that market or the multifamily market where you have a a large number of residences within one physical facility all the way to that commercial market and institutional market from K through 12 or higher education. And I would say our key products right now are – those mechanical products that physically secure those facilities and allow, um, allow that customer to have that peace of mind that is going to work all the time, every time, and using that as the strong foundation for the electronic basis to allow it to be connected, to allow it to be smart, and allow those devices to um, make people's lives and experiences better.
0: So things like you know activating these locks remotely, for example, when you know there needs to be a lockdown, instead of actually getting up, running to a door, and you know turning a deadbolt, you could hit a button. You could activate something on your phone or a key fob or something like that to to lock down, for example, a building or a room or something like that, right?
1: Yeah. And so one of our latest uh, inventions is a is a product called the Von Duprin RURM, it has the ability to remote unlock and remote lo- and remote monitor and physically know if that door is locked and closed. And you would see these, they're exit devices, devices that you would see at um, any facility uh, that, for the public. So at a college and university, you would see that at athletic facilities, you would see that exiting a big building, um, an academic building where, you have to have no knowledge on how to actually operate it and you push it. And, and that Von Duprin exit device has been present in the market for a really long time. But now through that elect, that electrifying and putting it electronically that end user customer now has the ability to say, I'm going to put it in lockdown. I'm going to, what's called undogging. I'm going to undog it and make sure it's locked. And I can definitively say as an administrator that it is locked and closed that it that not just the latch has been enabled but that there's a sensor on that door to tell that customer definitively that door is closed not been propped open the latch hasn't been been taped over with duct tape (laughs) or anything else it's actually definitively there so that's just a product that's been with us for quite some time that we advanced to give is that ability to do that lockdown that you had talked about
0: so let's take a let's kind of play devil's advocate right because these devices are great right they they let us know when things are locked when things are open when things are secure or not but as we've seen like people can hack into systems like that so i'm sure there are some sort of safeguards in place but isn't there always also a risk of someone being able to hack into a system and modify it so that it says it's locked when it actually a, isn't
1: yeah that's a very good question and at a legion our core culture is to to make sure that things are safe and with the mechanical space we always had that ability by moving into today's world it is imperative upon us to address the cybersecurity needs as well and so we have a full team that does nothing but maintaining the cybersecurity of our electronic product portfolio, continuing to provide patches on a daily basis, enabling those customers that buy our products to rest assured that we are staying on top of every threat that exists. And to your acknowledgement, it's always a continuous game. It's, it's, can you outrun the hackers? Yeah. And we we have uh, fun events right now. We've, we're kicking off a, an event here at a Legion internal. Um, we refer to it as the hackathon, and we encourage uh, our internal people. We invite some external as well to uh, let's 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 try and break this thing and make sure that we are what we say we are. So it really is a continual advancement. Um, and we use third party resources as well um, to do uh, what we've known as penetration tests. Right. So whether it be those pen tests on our cloud products that may be communicating and provisioning locks, or whether it be the communication protocols that are being sent to the individual devices.
0: Yeah, you gotta. It's tough to stay on top of the hackers because they're always, you know, trying to figure out ways. It's like you figure out a way to secure something, they're doing their darndest to try to figure out a way to get into it. So, by being proactive, doing that penetration testing, telling people, hey, try to break in, try to get, you know, into the product. And then if they do, then say, okay, great, you found a vulnerability. We can go and we can patch that. And because you have to give the customer peace of mind. And, you know, everybody sees, you know, as I mentioned in, in my opening monologue, there's so many different things that exist today. And it's, you know, you have like, you know, the breaches with, uh, I think it was Equifax just recently, you know, so you've got a huge company that's charged with keeping people's credit history safe and identity safe and that sort of thing. And even they, you know, can be, you know, hacked into. And so it's uh it's a constant battle and, uh, it's not easy. I, I, I hear you. I mean, I've been in IT for a long, long time, and it's like just when you think you've seen it all, you know, something else comes along, whether it's a piece of technology or whatnot, and then it, you know, opens up a whole another level of, of exploits that have to then be, de- be dealt with.
1: Uh, That's a very interesting point, Pete, and I want to add to that. And true. while I necessarily apply it holistically to a legion. I was at a, a talk not too long ago where the speaker was an industry expert in in cybersecurity and he addressed all the recent hacks with equifax and there's there's a whole litany of others where they pointed out that those hacks are being targeted on businesses that aren't necessarily cloud businesses that aren't that aren't in the business of providing cybersecurity and those businesses relied on on-premise individual IT staff to stay on top of this in comparison to industry giants that Um, Let's pick AWS or the Google Cloud or other cloud products that you can provide and and purchase and secure a suite of security products that are up-to-date, day-to-day. And it was really insightful to see that as related to physical security products, whether it be a, a camera or access control products and others, and then put that across the other industries such as financial and others. And What we've found is the vast majority of the hacks are happening on unsecured, on-premise products that are being maintained by individual IT managers. And many times those organizations don't have the budget for that, right? Well, that, that's,
0: and that's the big problem. And one of the things that I do is cybersecurity program development. I help businesses create a cybersecurity plan and risk analysis and threats. And, hey, what's going to happen if this part of our company goes down and we can't take orders or we can't place orders or we can't pay people? Like, And all these different – you have to look at every single aspect of the business. The problem is most companies, smaller companies, as you're, as you're mentioning, they don't have the budget, and so they rely on their IT department. Well, you can't have the department within a company, IT – which is essentially responsible for creating the value of the company to a certain extent, also be the same department that's protecting that value. It's a direct conflict of interest. And a lot of companies don't understand that. They think, well, my IT department will take care of it. No, your IT department can't take care of it. It's not that they could, but I mean, it's like I'm auditing myself. Of course, I'm going to give myself a good grade, right? right? So you have to have either an outside consultant or you have to have somebody come in and say, look, and here's an independent analysis of the company of the vulnerabilities, and it starts right at the top. Right, you have to start with the corporate culture. You have to start with the company's mission statement, their vision. You know what? It, what? You know what is their risk appetite? And there's so many different things that go into it. Instead of just like, okay, I got a current antivirus and my firewall's hardened. No, right. no, 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 no. It goes way beyond that. So, uh, yeah, it's it's wild. So I want to shift gears a little bit because um, one of the things we want to talk about today. Is the importance of credentials and mobile credentials and how they differ, maybe better for worse than you know traditional access credentials? And so, let's first start off. What let's let's get into your background for a minute or two, and then you can then we'll kind of get into that. So, how did you get started, Rob, in the uh, in the security space?
1: I got started in, in about 2007, 2008 into the physical security space, but previously I was in the networking world. I was working with data centers and, and that boom that we experienced from the late 90s and through the early 2000s where we were putting structured cabling everywhere and we were getting off of those proprietary systems, working in, in the new um, advancements associated with wireless. and. That was my industry expertise. And then in about 2007, 2008, I looked over to the physical security space and said, wow, this entire space is going to go on the network. And there's not a lot of institutional knowledge in that industry right now to make that a seamless transition. It was also a great market opportunity for my professional career. And at that time I owned my own businesses. So we, we, I started a business brought it up into that physical security space and quickly amassed a a pretty significant market share. So it's enabled me to go from that IT networking world into video initially, into the security space, and then transitioning into access control uh, in about 2010. Um, I began into the access control space.
0: Interesting. So you've had a, that's good because you need to have... I think that well-rounded knowledge of things, both on the physical side and the, uh, you know, and the cyber side. And, you know, now you're dealing with security on, on both levels in the physical side and, you know, and dealing with stuff that can be communicated with through the internet, through the cloud, you know, through servers. And, you know, these things all have their own share of challenges, as we know. They do. Um, so uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, mobile credentials and how, and let's look specifically, I guess, at um, like a campus, like a college campus. Um, so how, would, how does that something like a, the mobile credentials work uh, and the difference between that and the sort of the old traditional ways
1: of doing things? Great, so campuses are no stranger to credentials, right? That, that we've been using those since the mid to late 90s and those credentials are cards, and those could be cards, those could be key fobs, those, those could be another, a number of things and those students are used to having, you know, I, I had it when I was in college, a, a key card with my picture on it, with maybe, at that time, they actually put my social security number on it, <laughs> a number of, other, number of other things. And they were traditionally like Magstripe type cards where you'd swipe it, or they were based on a proximity technology. That has been the prevalent credentialing for quite some time. Certainly in today's world, um, all the students have a mobile phone, they have a smartphone. And it really, over the last five years, has been pushed of, we want mobile credentials because the students forget an ID. They forget a a key. And they never forget their cell phone. They never forget their (laughs) cell phone. And they want that level of convenience of, why can't my phone be my credential? Because they're using it for things like Apple Pay. They're using it for connecting their entire life.
0: Yeah, and concert
1: tickets, everything's on it. Airline there, tickets, right. yep. Yeah, I, I went to a baseball game. I might baseball tickets, but airline. To your point, everything is on that, and they want that level of convenience. At the same time, to our earlier conversation, the the need for greater security exists. The mag stripes and the proximity cards can be easily copied. There are machines that sit in retailers that you can place in your. RF, your prox RFID card, it'll copy it for you and give you another copy of it. Yep. There are devices that you can put on a door skimmers that allow that that credential to be copied in that in that um, in that prox world. And the need for those universities in that in, the, you know, in our in our talk here, for them to place their students in a better, more secure environment is very needed. So that mobile is becoming a very big part of that. While at the same time, those colleges and universities are saying, we still need the physical credential too because not everybody has a certain model of of mobile phone or not everybody wants to use that for a mobile phone. Some of the faculty and staff don't wanna do that. How can they accommodate that mixed use environment while at the same time having a greater conversation on security?
0: Yeah. See, most of the people do have their phones, but like, let's say you're going to the gym to work out. You may not bring your phone with you, but you got to have your ID because the college says you must have your ID on you at all times. And not only that, that's what's going to gain you access to the gym and, you know, get you back in your dorm, et cetera. So having that that card with you can sometimes be a lot easier than carrying the big phone. So there has yeah. to be a way that, like you're saying, that, that it could work both ways, not just because of the, you know, some people not having the device or something that's unsupported, but uh, from a convenience access, you know, if you're going for a jog, it's a lot easier for me to throw my little, you know, my ID card in my pocket than for me to, you know, sit and carry my phone or put on one of those straps on my arm where it's bouncing around. And so there are, I think, always going to be times where the credential in the phone is not going to work. I think those times are going to be very limited, but there is also Times when, you know, just because those couple of examples, we can see where, you know, yeah, I can see where it would be a lot easier for me to, you know, if I'm working out at the gym, I got a card in my pocket. I don't have a cell phone. I'm not worried about, you know, putting my phone on the machine. And then I go to the next machine and I forgot my phone. I got to go back over. So there are uh, definitely ways to do that.
1: Uh, There are. And I think you and I may be showing our age where we'd say, I'm not going to take the gym where they're like, I'm not leaving anywhere without my phone, right?
0: Yep. Uh, So what is one card? Uh, I was reading some, something about that and, and the different ways that, that that's being used.
1: Great. So the, the one-card solution being used at colleges and universities is a solution that allows that com- comprehensive student experience through a credential to be realized. And so that is everything from gaining access to physical facilities through uh, whether it be a physical credential or a mobile credential being able to buy your lunch, buy your books, um, register for activities, get into the athletic facilities, do your laundry, and utilize that same credential for all of that. And that can be delivered in both a mobile space as well as a physical credential space. But um, I wanna go back to, to just a point you made earlier, a question you asked of what is the difference between a mobile credential and a um, and a physical credential? and on that mobile credential, what a lot of colleges and universities are, are choosing that for is a number of really beneficial reasons the number one um, is is security um, if you think about it if I ha- if I want to I could conceptually give my card to my buddy or my brother or anything else and I could I could I could lose it they could gain access to those respective facilities a phone. Um, you can notify individuals instantly within the administration, say, hey, I lost my phone. And that credential can be instantly deactivated. Or even before that, there's ways to say, I can't use that mobile credential unless I touch in my pin code or use my biometric measurement on that specific mobile device, whether it be the face ID thing or whether it be a, a physical biometric reading of some kind.
0: Like a two-factor authentication that you can't, you know, mimic or copy by handing somebody your phone. I mean, that I, I worked as a, as a public safety officer. I remember seeing people that would be on like the third floor of a dorm throwing their ID out to their buddy down the, you know, who was standing at the front door to swipe in because they were too lazy to come downstairs and let him in. I'm like, really? <laughs> 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 you know, like, hello? So, you know, I get a lot of trouble for that, you know? I mean, yeah. it's, it's because now the, you know, the college in their system- and, or in, in a business, you've got a record. It's like, wow, this person swiped into the building three times. Like, but they never like, swiped in anywhere else, you know what I mean? So
1: it's kind of, right. it's crazy what people do. And, it, and they, it does prevent that. So it also cuts down, that mobile credential also cuts down on cost. And, and being in public safety, you, you know that printing those physical credentials and having to, when you lose it, having to go back to the registrar's office or whatever's office, you're going to have to go get that, get that credential that's cost on the university to maintain individuals there. It's cost on the uh, the printers and it's cost on the physical cards. And in a mobile credential space, you just send an email or a text to, to the respective student or, or faculty or staff and to they've got a new credential and it's automatically logged into that respective access control system and that one card system where now that student can have that comprehensive view across campus of, hey, I need to go buy my lunch that day, or I need to buy another book. Uh, So it does handle not only the financial aspects within that one card system, but it also handles that customer experience and what they really like to do. I'm going to go to the athletic facility. I'm going to go to the rec facility. And they're utilizing that phone to, to give them access to that. Well, at the same time on the administration perspective, it lets them know what's going on. They can also, potentially open doors remotely if they if they wanted to gain that access they can maintain identity protect protection to our point earlier if i lose that card somebody else could pick it up and still use it right and whereas to, you
0: can't deactivate it remotely like you can so i mean i could definitely see where especially in a higher education institution but also in any business that's using cards for access control going to again not every business and i'll tell you in a, in a second but that's why it's so nice to be able to, okay, here's your credential. You need to have access to this building for a week. Boom. You go into software, you say, okay, you know, this person needs this access and they can start from this day and they can end on this day and you forget about it. And you, and once that day comes where the access is gone, you don't have to remember, you don't got to set yourself a reminder. It just, the access goes away. If there's a problem, they can get it back. Now, the only other time I would think that, potentially that could be a problem with having a mobile credential on the phone would be maybe in some government institutions where you're not allowed to bring in your cell phone, right? NSA, CIA, any of these places where you walk in, thank you. Your phone gets locked up. Now that, you know, card, uh, is everything to you. So, uh, I don't think we're going to convert them anytime soon.
1: <laughs> no, but, uh, they're, they're not, they're going to be a last mover.
0: Yes. Um, you know, cause they'll figure out a way to scramble everything on your phone, but that, access portion of the, you know, of the phone itself. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's definitely beneficial because you have the less cost. You know, um, I know where I was at, uh, at the school, if you lost your swipe, I think they charge you 50 bucks for a new one. So there was some serious incentive to the students not to lose it. It wasn't like, yeah, five dollars, I give you a new one. It's like, whatever. If (laughs) I lose it, 50 bucks hits them hard, man. That's a lot of pizza. That's a lot of beer. Right. So (laughs) they don't want to, they don't want to lose it. Um, so for, uh, I think it was a uh, Mercer University was the uh, the first school to launch this contactless sort of uh, student ID using Apple Wallet. Uh, can you tell us a little bit more about that integration, and then you know we'll kind of delve a little bit more into the higher ed space with that.
1: Great, yeah, Mercer Mercer was the one of the first people to adopt it, and they went into the Apple ecosystem. Um, Apple as a, a mobile wallet, as you had pointed out, that allows that student ID to be proliferated across their phone and even Apple Watch. And that student can go throughout their entire campus experience, as I had spoke, spoke to you about, um, from the um, gaining access to the physical facilities to, I wanna go do my laundry, to, I, hey, I want to go buy my lunch. And all of those, customer experience items, Mercer looked at that and said, yeah, this makes great sense. And how it made sense for them as well with the Legion was the hardware has to have the ability to accommodate that Apple mobile credential. So it's not just, Hey, I've got these readers on the wall and I've got these wireless lock sets in the facility and they just inherently all work. Well, that's just not true. That reader had to have the ability to read that mobile credential that electronic lock had the ability to do that. And Mercer had utilized the Allegiant 84. It's a Schlage ad It's a wireless lock product for years. And that was a modular um, type system that allowed them to continue to upgrade from a Magstripe to a mobile ecosystem. And they chose to move that direction. They wanted to be one of the first adopters and they, and they were. And so what we-
0: about all the students on Android?
1: <laughs> they are now Apple. <laughs> Yeah, or they have the ability to still maintain that physical credential as well. They, they went into a, a hybrid world. I believe they refer to it as the bear card and the, uh, the university all the way to the top at the president and the vice presidents. They went all in on this and said, this makes the greatest amount of sense. And their experience thus far has been rather tremendous. Like the students talk about it and they they're telling other students. So not only is it a great security Product it's also a great marketing tool for them to say, "Wow, you can use your, you can we use our mobile phones for everything anyway." Now we can do that within that, that that environment, and it made it fairly inexpensive for Mercer to be able to go do this because they already had the hardware products from an open platform like Legion that allowed them to go do that. So they could easily
0: integrate. Yeah, that's and especially you know when you have the support from the top down, it makes it easier because sometimes, as you know, in larger companies the people at the top don't always want to adhere to the same security standards as everybody else. It's like, why do I have to carry my ID? Everybody knows I'm the CEO, right? Right. Because you're supposed to be leading by example, right? <laughs> it doesn't matter people know. This is still how the company operates. You have to set a good example for your employees. Some people don't do that and, uh, and that could be a problem. So in this case, that's awesome because people right at the top were like, yes, we're on board. We're going to use it. And this is something that we want everybody to use and this is why, and look at what's happening. As you said, the experience has been tremendous. It's helping them in a lot of ways. It's probably helping them cut costs. It's giving them greater control. They can run all kinds of probably additional uh, reports and analysis on what's happening, which again is gonna then help get it, make it better and better as as time goes on.
1: The uh, other interesting part of this, it's really interesting to have an industry giant like Apple come into the physical security space. And they command attention within the leadership of that, that college and university because they are providing a greater value. It's very different than you would uh, physical security, access control software manufacturer, somebody coming in to try and sell their wares. It doesn't matter what they're trying to sell. Getting that audience as it relates to a, a physical security at, uh, technology at that presidential level within an organization doesn't happen very often. Might we meet with the CIO. You might we meet with the CFO because they're going to cut the check within a business. And then certainly the institutional decision makers there as well. But Apple walks in and they say, we have something truly different to offer you as a campus. And, and
0: everybody knows who Apple is. Right. And so, it's yeah, they don't uh, have to, right. you know, say, who are you? What's your product? What's your background? It's like, oh, I'm Apple. This, you, right. you, know, you know me. <laughs> you you know? know me. Interesting. So what what types of, I'm sure just about pretty much any higher education facility would be a good candidate for that. Are there any that are maybe better suited for a mobile credential solution than others?
1: So I I would say that nearly every institution that we are talking to is looking at a mobile solution. And there are a number of technologies. We happen to support a number of those technologies. So we've been talking a lot about the Apple and they utilize an NFC credential. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: We also have a BLE or a Bluetooth low energy um, solution as well. It's a Bluetooth credential that sits on the phone and and as a legion we are we're fleshing out a wholly comprehensive BLE ecosystem of hardware as well as credentials. So some institutions want to go into a BLE ecosystem. Others want to go into NFC, and NFC. When you say, I want NFC today, it means you're going into the Apple ecosystem. In that BLE world, there are many var- vendors that exist in the marketplace. A lot of the, the physical access control software manufacturers already today support Bluetooth and the BLE technology, and at Allegiant, we support that as well. So those colleges and universities, doesn't matter if schools, doesn't matter if they're community colleges, small colleges, or massive universities, There is a need for mobile credentials at all of them, and many have different budget constraints and how they can adopt and when they can adopt. Because there are, as I mentioned, hardware considerations to take into place as well. Can they support it? And does their software support it? Um, Some are taking a more measured approach to it, where they are going into a specific. They're doing it in the engineering college, and the engineering college has all the has the finances today, so they're going to go Bluetooth or they're going to go NFC. Are you
0: familiar with LoRa? I'm not. LoRa stands for a low range or long range, low power. And it's an open source technology for wireless communications that has a ridiculous range because it operates in the 900 megahertz spectrum. So it essentially a single receiver can cover about a five mile radius. Wow! And Semtech has the technology right now and they, uh, basically bought it from a French company about I don't know eight years ago or something. But it's being it's being used to power the Internet of Things in a lot of countries right now. And it's start there's starting to be pockets of it in the United States. Uh, like Mexico City has complete LoRa coverage. Uh, Long Island, New York, there's an independent there's a, a private company that actually rolled out LoRa devices throughout the entire Uh, Long Island area because they can be used for things like uh, flood detection systems, right? Uh, In a building, you've got a flood, they put a sensor in the basement, the sensor activates, it triggers, it transmits via LoRa through uh, repeaters back to the central monitoring station that says, hey, we got a problem, there's a flood in this building at this location for this client. But it can be used for lots and lots of things. And I'm thinking that you know, a lot of these technologies, the problem with them, whether it's cellular, where you got, you know, 3G, 4G, 5G now, right, uh, or Bluetooth, you know, you have different Bluetooth specifications, or, you know, near field communications, you know, all of these things, they continue to, to evolve and change. So you may roll out something that is based on, on a hardware specification that's current today. But three or four years from now, there may be a new specification that's more secure. And then now the old one stops being supported. So something like LoRa, where it's an open source, the specification's been set and has some really big boys behind it, I think is something that a lot of companies are going to start to look at as the Internet of Things evolves, as I think that capability gets added to mobile devices. Uh, It's going to be really, really interesting to see because... Uh, You know, it also can operate kind of like as a mesh network. So there's so many advantages to it that um, I'd highly recommend uh, doing a little uh, reading on it because it's something that Allegiant may want to look at. It's something that I think a lot of companies are going to want to take a look at because there's no cost involved. Yeah, there's cost for the hardware, but the actual technology itself is open, which is really interesting.
1: That is really interesting, and and you touched on two things there that are in alignment with our company's core values. And one of our our pillars is to be the partner of choice, and that is to leverage open platforms like you just referred to. So it's definitely something that uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna learn more about, and, and and I'm sure our organization and the engineering knows quite a bit about it. But your your communication point of it's always going to change, and our products that 8400 I talked about that communicates at 900 megahertz as you know it can go a long distance and it's not a noisy band right. and other wireless products are our, our interior wireless products like our, our, our indie ear le product that would somebody would have on a, on a on a facility that communicates at 2.4 gigahertz which as you know is a very noisy band hmm. so it as far or ble or nfc To your point, I think that there's power in leveraging those open standards to enable us in the physical security space to leverage technology across multi-vendors to to grow the industry and and make it more secure as well.
0: Yeah, Laura's in uh, over 100 countries and I think there's at last count something like 86 million devices operating on it. So it's definitely something that's growing and uh, as the infrastructure grows out, that's where I think it's going to really take off because that's where it's getting to that point now where more companies are beginning to to roll out these localized solutions. For example, you can install a solution at a college campus in a day or two because you just can roll these things out. You pop them where they go. You could roll it out on a construction site, right, by just powering these things with uh, solar panels. So now you can use it to put uh, a perimeter and geofence it and put little transmitters on each one of your pieces of, say, construction equipment. So somebody tries to steal a loader, boom, it passes the geofence, an alarm goes off, it activates. So it's really, really neat, really neat tech. Uh, so that's why I just wanted to mention it, because it's it's definitely you, you read about it and you'd be like, wow. So for our listeners out there, if you're not familiar with it, look into LoRa, L-O-R-A. It's a very, very interesting technology, and I think it's going to really explode in a big way in the in the next few years. Now, let's see. Uh, for Someone who's a uh, a security professional in higher education, uh, what would you say to that individual that's looking to implement some newer campus security solutions? Um, how can they better secure their campus what What should they be looking at? How can they sort of educate themselves
1: that's That's a great question. I think first and foremost, I think the the campus administrator has to look at are the solutions I'm using today secure? Am I in a a 1980s, 1990s card swipe with MagStripe or am I using proximity that can easily be be compromised? I think that's the very first step and that credential um, becomes a a very, very strong step. At the same time, to our last conversation, leveraging the open standards. Try not to find yourself into a proprietary space where Hey, I, I'm going to go buy this credential and I just locked myself into, I've got to buy all the hardware and all the software and everything else from somebody else. Because That's not a great scenario. And, and today, some of the leading vendors, that's their entire goal. How do I lock that customer up and make sure they only buy my stuff? Be sure. Scary.
0: And they want to handcuff you, right? They, they, they want you to be beholden to them. You need something? You got to talk to me. But a lot of right. people, they don't want that. They want, hey man, if I want this from this company and I want that from that company and it's all going to work on my platform, amen. That's awesome because it lets you pick and choose the best of the best that fits your particular situation
1: and your needs. You know, it, we encourage people to pick the best in class product. Choose that open platform that is extremely secure and having that conversation with your Legion, we want to have that conversation. We want to have that let's be really secure and keep you in an open platform so that you can continue to choose the best best and breed products for your institution um, next, I would say do the do the evaluation of are your devices smart and are they connected? What needs to be smart and connected so whether it be I just need to be able to update firmware remotely to a device or I want to know if a door is closed i don 't want to have to mechanically Uh, electronically open and close it, but I want to know if it is closed. I want to have a sensor on that. I want to be able to see definitively what's going on in my facility. And I think a comprehensive overview and analysis of what do I have and how does this align with the security motivations of my institution, it allows a wonderful, wonderful point of view, not only for that security professional, but it does move itself up to that higher, uh, those higher level decision makers in the, in the in the presidents and the provosts office and the colleges and universities.
0: So I'm I'm assuming based on what you're talking about in terms of open source and wanting to use the best of the best that Allegion is pretty much open that anybody who has a particular uh, access control software or something like that through an API can integrate with your stuff and be able to use it like somebody like you know Digital Ally or not, um, uh, desktop alert, or uh, what's the one Titan, for example, um, I just learned a lot about the Titan solution a couple weeks ago when I was out in California. That was super impressive. Um, so I'm assuming that, you know, you say, okay, here's our here's our API. This is how you can talk to
1: it, integrate it and kind of go nuts with it, right? Um, in, in a way, right. So our our credentials, there's a whole spectrum of hey, we, we do have proprietary credentials and we want to educate customers. Here, here's, a, here's a solution. But really moving all the way to that other end, there's a credential called the DESFIRE EV2 that allows that end user to have an extremely secure credential system while at the same time they can maintain their own security key. It's not, they're not beholden to any manufacturer, they're not beholden to us or anybody else, and they can take it from us to somebody else. Oh, that's awesome. And it's just the entire self while at the same time that Desfire EV two or EV one even allows them to select hardware products across multiple vendors as well. So really having that conversation, making them educated, giving them the ability to make a very good security decision and a very good capital investment decision as well.
0: You mentioned uh, earlier that you had, um, Uh, some experience with video. So I'm assuming this can also integrate into various VMS systems as well.
1: Yeah. So the access control systems that our hardware products operate with, they have full integration into the leading, uh, quite frankly, nearly all of the video management systems. And within video, video moved faster than access control. Video moved from a proprietary analog system to IP on the network with multi-vendor cameras multi-vendor softwares in a very short 10-year period and they're dominant and the colleges and universities i've yet to to find one that hasn't upgraded and updated their camera technology not only from a visual perspective they wanted better cameras so they could have you know 1080p or megapixel multi-megapixel cameras to be able to zoom in on somebody and that now they're using things like ai to be able to say, is this person, should this person be here or people counting of how many people are in this area or are there suspicious activities and those type of things are going on in video and they can be tied to an access control system very seamlessly providing a comprehensive security solution that utilizes the physical hardware of access control and door hardware from Legion to the video of what's what's physically going on there because interestingly cameras don't stop things from happening cameras recorded a lot of things that happened and and show you what did happen and the access control prevents people and and bad things from happening from getting into specific places so creating that seamless integration between, between the two is very very important
0: and it is amazing how that technology has evolved. I mean, even, you know, back in April, being out the, at the show at ISC West and looking at some of the ways that these camera manufacturers are integrating things like gate analysis, you know, like analyzing how people were walking by the booth. It was a little freaky. You're walking by and you see a little stick figure of yourself, <laughs> like on the screen and you're going, whoa, is that like recording me? Like, am I in a database now? <laughs> you know? yep. But um, it was really interesting to see because, I mean, obviously there's facial recognition, uh, solutions out there. And then there are these other solutions that actually are detecting the mood of the person based on their facial recognition with these camera systems. So it can tell if somebody's, you know, walking and they're all mad and it's like, you know, and it puts a little, you know, mad face on the person yes. as they're walking by, you know, and then you got somebody else walking by and they're all happy and it's got a happy face on them. And you got somebody else walking sad and it's got a sad face. And I'm looking at this deck and I'm going, this is really crazy. It's like turning people into emojis. Because <laughs> <You know? laughs> that's essentially what it was doing. It was like at a, at a glance, you could see, you know, are there all happy faces around? Are there a couple of mad faces around? Are those two mad faces walking together? Like, so let, it starts to open up all of these crazy uh, sort of ways of analyzing what's going on here. Uh, you know, biometrics aside, do, doing some of this stuff with video. Um, and then, you know, and then in a biometric space with, being able to do obviously like the retina, you know, and the iris recognition and things like that, there was a company there that actually did vascular vein uh, mapping in a booth nearby that where I was at. And I'm um, basically you put your hand in there and it takes a snapshot of the mapping of the veins on the back of your hand because apparently that's even more unique than a fingerprint. Yeah, which I bought and it was unbelievable. So you have just so many different ways. And, you know, I think companies really need to look at these different technologies. They need to say, okay, what level do I want to take it, right? And then we have to come back to reality and say, what's my budget? Correct. <laughs> and, and and sort of find that, that happy medium that provides the solution that is uh, sufficient, that is secure, uh, and stays within budget uh, that allows them to, make it the safest space as possible. And when we see the things on the news, like, you know, what is, what's been happening all the time with these different active killer events and, you know, things that happen all over the country on and around the world, you know, it's uh, it's scary because we need to protect people and we have to try to do, I think uh, as much as possible to have a more proactive way of recognizing some of these things, you know, through the the AI analysis of social media posting, through the recognition that comes through VMS, and then coupling all of that through the physical access control, so that, okay, we see a group of six people that are all pissed off walking this way, I'm gonna lock down that door (laughs) just to be on the safe side, right? And AI is a technology now that begins to allow us to have some of these things happen automatically are you going to have some false positives sure but wouldn't you rather be safe than sorry and say oh sorry i didn't mean to lock the door on you you know and then you open the door and everything is fine so it's 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 very very interesting it's very um uh just sort of futuristic when we see all of these things. You know, I mean, hey, we're in 2019, you know, 2020 is around the corner. I remember as a kid thinking 2020, like we're all going to be flying around like the Jetsons. And, you know, it just seemed like it was so far out there in the future. And although we may not be all, you know, flying around on jet cars right now, we are seeing how these technologies just continue to evolve and advance and do so in in such rapid fashion that it, uh, it's tough to, to keep up. And so, I mean, that's one of the reasons why I love doing this show, is because I bring people on like yourself and from other companies and other manufacturers that uh, have these different solutions. They can talk about how they can be integrated and utilized. And, uh, and it's really, uh, I think, important so that when people are listening, they say, wow, you know, I didn't even know such and such existed. I need to go look into that now. That might be something that can help me secure my company, secure my business, secure my home for that matter, right? We need to secure everything that we have. Uh, Any thoughts around the future of campus security?
1: I think it's only going to become more, more connected. You know, as we look at the mobile credential, that's another step towards that. And we have to understand what's going on at, at those openings, those specific doors. We have to know what's going on through camera feeds. We have to know how we're, we're making those students, faculty, and staff more secure and, and enable them to do what they're there to do, which is to learn and teach and support that, uh, that advancement of, of humanity. Absolutely. So with, with the products, they are a subset of making that vision happen. And I think that we can continue to drive and educate customers towards that.
0: Well, if uh, people are interested in learning more about you or Allegion, where can our listeners go to learn
1: more? Great. Um, Again, my name is Rob Lydic and I I work with Allegion. And you can go to our website, which is us.allegion.com and learn more about our hardware products, learn more about our BLE and our NFC ecosystems, and learn more about our credentials and how, you can secure your facilities and your properties while at the same time remaining open and not locked into proprietary systems. Awesome. Any last thoughts? That was it. I (laughs) want to thank you very much. I think this is a great uh, avenue. I I love your show and I love the opportunity to connect up with, with you and your audience. Thank you very much.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you uh, very much, Rob, for being on Safety Talk. And uh, thanks to our listeners for tuning in. Be sure to look at uh, past episodes through your favorite podcast network. Go to safetytalkpodcast.com for the latest in safety news and find out what's happening in the world around you. In the meantime, until next time, stay safe. Thanks for tuning in to Safety Talk. You can listen to past episodes and get the latest safety news at our website, safetytalkpodcast.com. Be sure to visit our other websites for free safety checklists and infographics. You can also sign up for free online self-defense training, learn about college campus safety, and find out more about Pete and how he can help educate your school or business through speaking, workshops, seminars, and consulting. Subscribe to the Safety Talk podcast and never miss out on any new safety information. Until next time, stay safe.